Hello, everybody. Welcome to our latest episode of Shut the Fuck Up. We're not done talking yet. Today, we're going to be talking with Tracy Clayton. Tracy is a grief recovery method specialist. Danielle and I know her because she is a Nia dancer and takes Danielle's class. And so we wanted to talk to her today, find out about the practice of grief recovery, what she does, and just talk in general about grief and the way people process it in our culture and um, learn what we can about how to do that. So Tracy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm really glad to be here and glad to uh, talk about the grief recovery method. Um, just a, a little bit of history and background. The Grief Recovery Institute, uh, which gives the grief recovery method training, was founded, uh, I don't remember how many years ago, sorry, uh, by a man named John James. And he had lost an infant son and basically wasn't finding the kind of support and help that was getting him through it. And um, he came up with some things himself that, that uh, he thought would be helpful. And, you know, long story short, collaborated with Russell Friedman, who unfortunately is no longer with us. And he was also going through some difficult things and the two of them wrote the Grief Recovery Handbook and founded the Grief Recovery Institute. And they've trained thousands of specialists all over the world um, in many different languages. They have French, Spanish, Dutch. Uh, they've just recently done a program in Russian and so and um, Africa. They've uh, gone into Africa and they are just trying to help as many grievers as possible, as soon as possible. So that's their, their goal. And it's a program of steps that guide people through the grief process. It's, um, and it's listening without analysis, criticism, or judgment. We listen with our hearts. And the steps involve mostly people's loss history. They do a whole timeline of the history of all of their losses and how they responded to each one and how others attempted to help them through each one so that we can see you know, what they've been told in the past about grief. And there are also misnomers and misinformation that people get about grief trying to, and you know, I thought of it in terms of this program because basically what people try to say to grievers is something to shut them up so that they won't <laughs> bring everybody else down. Um, and we, we get these stifling messages early in life as well. And I think especially as women, but certainly as men, men as well are silenced, but for different reasons. People want different things from females than they want from males and society as a whole. Um, I know we all know a lot of very progressive, very evolved people who uh, do not feel that way, but um, you know, things like, well, if you've had a bad day at school, you better cheer up before dad comes home because he deserves to see your happy face. Or, uh, you know, what would grandma say if she heard you talking like that? Um, you know, I'm sure we've all gotten those messages. And, uh, you know, even uh, like Archie Bunker on All in the Family, stifle yourself, eat it. You know, just, just don't talk about it. You can do anything, but just don't talk about it. Um, 
So, and also the things that many people hear when they're grieving are, well, just keep busy. You know, in other words, get it out of your mind and it won't bother you anymore. Uh, be strong for others. You know, you, you have to be the rock in this family. And all of those things negate a person's need to talk about grief, to feel it, to experience it, to be not all right, to be scared, to be not strong. And um, so that needs to be listened to and addressed rather than pushed to the side. And, you know, time will heal you eventually. Well, yes, as long as you perform actions as well. It's kind of like saying, all right, if you have a flat tire and you're stuck on the road, are you just going to wait for time to pass? Well, you probably will waiting <laughs> for someone to come help you, but you need to do actions as well. And um, so that's basically the, the gist of it. Great, Tracy, thank you. Um, I guess I have some questions for you. Um, what led you to want to begin doing that and when did you do your training? Well, I trained about, uh, about five and a half years ago and I was working as a volunteer at a local nonprofit with grievers. I was doing grief groups and I was doing one-on-one -on -one grief counseling, peer counseling. I'm not a therapist and I'm not licensed in any way and we had training for that as well. But the organization changed their protocol and volunteers were no longer allowed to work one-on-one. -on -one, and that was my main interest, working one-on-one -on -one with people. But um, I also really enjoyed doing the groups. And often in the groups, people would ask me, you know, do you have any, you know, writing exercises that I can do? Or are there any, you know, is there anything I can read or work on in between meetings to just process this? And so, you know, people were kind of looking for something like a grief recovery method and the grief recovery method does have what they call homework assignments where you you process your loss you know by writing things and doing the charts and things of that nature i don't want to get into too much detail about that because the gist of it is really you know telling your truth and being able to express yourself and so then when i couldn't work for the nonprofit anymore i was looking for another way to help grievers and i found it on the web and I signed up for the training and went to the four day class and it was life changing. I mean, it really let me know that I had been lying to myself quite a bit over the years about what was really going on. Mm -hmm. um, and that I was sort of a pleaser and that I was telling people what they wanted to hear when in reality, I might've needed someone to sit and listen to me tell my truth. And, um, I worked on a couple of personal losses that I had had on the on the graph, and you know I saw the ways that over the years I had been told things that pretty much said, you know, be silent about it, you know, grieve by yourself, go to your room until you're in a better mood, or go outside for a while and come back when you're feeling better. I had been getting those messages, and you know, I'm not blaming my parents, <laughs> may they rest in peace, but that's. What, what children are frequently told growing up. And then we absorb that as adults. So we say, well, you know, if we want people to like us, we better be cheerful and we better just not, you know, tell people things like that. And in the grief groups that I was doing at the nonprofit, I mean, we got quite a mix of people. And this was 
all those grief groups were for people who had lost someone to death. They didn't have one for divorce or um, loss of home, loss of career, uh, empty nest syndrome. And grief recovery method covers any and all losses. So it doesn't have to be just that somebody died. It could be a bad diagnosis. It could be an anticipated loss. But um, in the groups, in those groups too, we encourage people to express themselves. And I'll never forget one time, this kind of relates to your theme about shut the fuck up, we're not done talking. Uh, one woman pulled me aside after a group once and asked me to talk to another woman in the group about watching her language. And I said, well, no, I'm not going to do that because what we encourage people to do in this group is express themselves, express their feelings in their own way, not in a way that suits the other members of the group. So, you know, when I reminded her what the goal of the group was, I guess she kind of felt a little sheepish that she really shouldn't be trying to stifle somebody's self-expression. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I certainly heard a lot of <laughs> colorful language in those groups because people were people were angry or people were sad or people felt scared. And yeah. it's a good they, thing that that would be allowed at a group because I don't know how long I could go without um, cursing because <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard for me. But especially if I have talking speaking about something passionate, mm -hmm. you know, I right if I was upset, you know, I'm gonna drop some f bombs. So. Yeah, and if somebody says to you, you know, you really ought to watch your language, they are not doing the job of the listener. They're not doing the job of the compassionate listener. They are judging you based on how you express yourself. And that is a no-no in grief counseling, grief recovery, whatever discipline you work with, with grief. And, and I'm sure therapists don't do that, um, or they say shouldn't, because people have to be allowed to express themselves in the way that that helps them release their feelings and process them. You know, Tracy, I think you're bringing up something really important around the way people get judged for the way they grieve. Um, mm -hmm. It's like there's, in many people's minds, there's sort of the appropriate ways and then the inappropriate ways. Um, like I remember our last cat when she was getting ready to be put down, I decided to take a few final pictures of her. And my husband said, oh, let's don't do that. Just let her go. And I was like, no, I really wanted to. And I've often noticed that where like the way that people deal with death, sometimes people do things that make other people really uncomfortable. And they yeah. are get they get judged for it, they get shut down, they're told, that's not right, or you're, you're doing it, it's too long, too much. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I there's no time like, frame. There's no you know, yeah. okay, in a year you should be over it. Uh, it's just a dog or cat. So give yourself a couple of months. So that's also a no-no in grief recovery. And we also don't compare losses. We don't say, well, okay, um, you know, you lost your, your father and I only lost my friend. So yours is worse or, or mine is worse because I lost two people and you only lost one. Each yeah. loss is experienced at 100% and there is no yeah. comparison. There's nothing that's illegitimate. There's nothing that's lesser or greater. And I mean, I've even had, I have a friend who has recently lost both her parents and just lost her dog. And she said she cried more over the dog than she did over her parents. And now there are very many reasons for this. It's not, and you can't even say she loved the dog more than the parents. It's just that, you know, animals especially have 
the, there's a very unique special bond between us and our, our animals. And there is a grief recovery method pet loss program as well. Mm -hmm. um, there's a, the grief recovery method for pet loss book. That's a wonderful way to get through a pet loss. So um, yeah, I, yeah, I wanted to say one more thing that, um, you know, when we talked to Monica Welty um, last year about her infant loss, and we, mm. and we we compared lots of different losses and et cetera. And just recently, a woman told me that her son had died at age 30, and she was, you know, reeling from that, like, you know, devastated. And then she met somebody, a man who had lost his child too, and he, that his child had died at six months old. So he said to her, least you had 30 years with your son. Mm. And then she told that to me and I said, no, yeah, you cannot yeah. accept that. No, his experience is your, and it, that has nothing, or, or someone would say to her, well, you'd be more attached to him. So that would be sadder than the man who lost it. It was like, I said, no. Mm -hmm. And I, no. and I was encouraging her. It's like, if you think that's even true, will you please get grief counseling? You know, not be, you know, it's still her journey, but I was like, oh no, we've learned this, you know? Yeah, that that's right. Absolutely. And we, we never say like, well, at least you, or, you know, you're lucky you didn't whatever. Um, yeah. yeah. Or this person's in a better place. Or, yeah. That those are things we just don't say because they minimize the loss and they diminish your understanding of the person's feelings about the loss. Yeah. I mean, it's painful at any time, at any age. I was 48 when I lost my dad and 55 when I lost my mom. I mean, you know, it wasn't that I needed them to grow up, you know, for me growing up, but a loss at any age, the, the deceased's age or the, the griever's age is irrelevant. It's the, the relationship and the feelings that, that come with it. And it isn't always sadness. People aren't always sad when someone dies. I was much sadder when I found out how sick my father was than I was when he died because I knew him and I knew this is not what dad wants. You know, I'm, I'm hoping this won't go on too long just because this isn't what he wants. So, and my mom and brother wanted to keep him alive as long as possible. So it's just, you know, they loved him too much to let him go. And I loved him too much to insist that he hang on. But we, you know, it wasn't that I, that my idea was better or that they loved him more. It's just everyone's different ways of seeing a situation and grieving. Where do you think that whole idea of trying to compare losses comes from? I mean, is that just an, an, an yet another way for people to sort of diminish it or they're not comfortable dealing with it? So they always want to sort of shade it and go, well, at least dot, dot, dot. As if it's mm -hmm. a way to just help I mean, maybe they're trying to be helpful um, and put some context around the loss to show that maybe it's not as bad, yeah, they're, but they're clearly just trying to diminish it. Yeah, well, it's also they're intellectualizing it. They're putting it in the head instead of in the heart. They're saying, okay, well, yeah, you're sad, but here are the facts that should make you not sad. Um, so it's intellectualization, which is another thing they talk about a lot in the grief recovery training that, you know, you, you have to think from your heart or feel from your heart, because if it's up here in the brain, you're not going to get at what's really affecting you. What's affecting you is your feelings. 
And so, you know, when someone tells a story of what happened, of telling the story helps because it processes and it gives you a context of what happened. But we very quickly get off the story, even though there's a need sometimes for them to tell the story again and again, and we certainly allow them to do that. But the feelings are what, what we're getting at. And yeah, when somebody tries to minimize something, I think they're trying to help. I don't think anyone means to approach a griever and say, well, you stupid idiot, you shouldn't be feeling this way. I mean, everyone means to be helpful when they're talking to grievers. I mean, and certainly a friend or family member who loves you wants to help, but people are sometimes misdirected and they sometimes think that the logic will help minimize the loss by saying, well, yeah, it's a fact. She lived to be 95, wow, how many people get that? Um, but maybe the last 10 years of the person's life weren't so great. I mean, there's just, it's, it's the intellectualization of the loss. And the same thing with, oh yeah, you can get another cat or dog. Well, of course, everybody knows that. Um, or, you know, in the case of a divorce or a death of a young spouse, well, yeah, of course, it's a fact that that person can remarry. But at this point in time, we are with the loss. We are listening with an idea of being with the feelings. But yeah, I think people are trying to be helpful, but I think, you know, our, our first instinct sometimes is, and I've certainly done this in, in way, way in the past, is to say something that could make someone feel better. But the goal isn't really to fix it. The goal is to allow the process to happen. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, and I think it takes a certain kind of, maybe just experience of having gone through some losses yourself to kind of learn what's helpful and what what is good to say. Because after you've gone through some yourself, you've heard a lot of these things said to you and you're like, huh, note to self, this is not a helpful <laughs> thing to say. Yeah, right? no, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just kind of like you learn as you go through life and as you kind of accumulate losses. I think mm -hmm. you kind of have some better sense when you get to be older. Um, maybe, I don't know. A lot of people still say these things um, like God doesn't ever give you anything so hard that you can't handle it. Mm -hmm. I mean, many people I've heard say that and I always just go, you've got to be kidding many people are devastated by their losses and they don't mm -hmm. ever truly recover. Um, but I think maybe it's just people don't want to admit that they too might be really vulnerable to loss. Yes, right? that's, another, that's another aspect of it that people are conjuring up in their mind, okay, this is happening to her. Now, if this happened to me, what would I say to myself to get through it or I don't like to say get over it because in all the years I've been working with people who are grieving, I've never met anyone who could tell me what getting over it means. You get through it and you have a new story for your life and you have a new, well, a new normal is really the best way I can describe it. It's uh, you've, you've lost your old normal and you have a new normal, but you know, that doesn't mean that you don't miss the old normal, but um yeah, that's another thing I was going to say that if, that when people do say things like that, they want to 
it's almost like when you hear that somebody has a terrible disease and you say, well, I eat right and I exercise every day and I get eight hours of sleep. That's not ever going to happen to me. They, they try to tell themselves, I may not say it to the other person, but they try to tell themselves, oh no, that'll never happen to me. And I think it's the same thing with grief. You know, when they, when they hear that somebody's parent or grandparent died and that they were almost 100 years old, they would say, wow, you know, I'm going to be really happy if my parent or grandparent lives to be 100. And I'm not going to be grieving. Because what people fear most is is being so sad that they don't think they'll ever stop being sad. And I mean, you will stop being sad. You just have to let yourself be sad when you are sad. You have to allow it to go. Yeah, you know, that is really good advice. Because I, I think a lot of times when we are suffering that way, we kind of resist the feelings. And mm-hmm. it just makes the whole thing worse and <laughs> drags it out. It's like you need to go through it, but you kind of want to go around it, over it. Uh-huh. You know, you want to get to the other side without doing the work, um, which is very painful. <laughs> it's, it's hard, yes. <laughs> well, that brings up... That brings up another point of the grief recovery method. They also have a portion where they go over what they call short-term energy relieving behaviors or STIRBs. And STIRBs are things like overeating, drinking, doing drugs, um, excessive sexual behavior, shopping, excessive TV, uh, over-exercising, anything that you do to divert your attention from your feelings is called a short-term energy relieving behavior. And it it helps, they, they work, that's why people do them, but they don't let you feel your feelings. So they're a diversion from the grief. And so we have people say, you know, what do you do? You know, when you're feeling sad, what sort of things do you do to, to get your mind off it? And they're not wrong. You know, if something, if, if having a piece of chocolate makes you feel good, by all means do it, but relying on those instead of going through the work, instead of doing your grief work, relying on those things is not good long-term care. It doesn't help you. Well, you know, Tracy, the list of things you just named make me think of all of the things that people resorted to during the pandemic to get mm-hmm. through it. And, you know, throughout the pandemic, I often had the feeling that we were all engaged in some sort of grieving at different levels. I mean, obviously, some people lost people to COVID and other people lost jobs and they lost houses and they lost tangible things. Um, And then there were a lot of intangible losses that were, I think, maybe not fully expressed. they kind of went on and on and on so that mm-hmm. you never really felt like you were at the end of whatever it was you were feeling because every day was sort of the same thing. And even now it's kind of like, are we over it yet? Is the pandemic over? Will it ever be over? You know, you kind of long for some final milestone to feel that, okay, like I got my hair cut, so I don't have pandemic hair anymore. So. <laughs> Somehow I've moved on, right? But um, part of part of us, I think, are, we're all still sort of grieving some losses. 
Yeah, yeah, oh, definitely. And all the uh, the stirbs that I mentioned are things that people did indulge in quite a bit while the pandemic was going on to, to comfort themselves or to make them feel normal when it wasn't. And I think, yeah, there, there are a lot of intangible losses from the pandemic that the loss of, you know, people who planned a wedding or a huge party. Um, my 60th birthday party got delayed month by month until it was finally canceled. Um, and yeah, just the, those things that make life nice and that we plan for and that we look forward to just weren't possible. And being able to hug someone, you know, being able to go into your NIA class and hug everybody, I mean, yeah, I mean, I can't tell you how much I missed all that. And, you know, now it's like to mask or not to mask. Uh, you know, if you're vaccinated, do you still mask? If you're, I mean, I don't know. Is it that, I think just a loss of, sometimes a loss of direction, a loss of knowing what the hell to do. Um, and well, for me, at least it was a huge loss of trust. I mean, not that I had, a, without being political, not that I had much trust in the leadership that we had, but just, you know, a loss of the American governmental system and the healthcare system. You know, who, who do you look to? Who's got the answers? And, and when is this going to show some signs of being in abatement before we hit a million deaths? I mean, yeah, but the, yeah, the intangibles were definitely a big, big part of COVID. In addition, of course, to the deaths and um, losses of major events and, and houses and jobs and the things that we rely on. Yeah. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Okay, welcome back. Tracy, I have a question for you. Um, I'm really curious to know about how your method, the grief recovery method, differs from some approaches that might be used by other counselors or psychologists to people who are formally trying to help people who are grieving. Okay, um, well, first of all, the grief recovery method is based on actions, so things that people actually do uh, for themselves to process their loss. And um, I mean, we start, of course, with, with listening, so they talk to us about it. But there's also, um, it's a, a fixed number of sessions. It's either uh, six or eight weeks so that you get through the whole method in that time. Now, there are this doesn't mean that the person is out the door and don't see you again, whatever. Um, we can always revisit things. And the last step of the grief recovery method is actually a letter that you write to the person who you're grieving for. Or in the case of a job loss, you may write a letter to your boss or, um, or you know, if, if you lost your house, maybe you write a letter to your, your spouse or partner, whoever you're addressing the letter to. And then there are these things called PS letters, which um, are, oh, I had another thought that I wanted to share with you. And the, the uh, emotional components 
are things that, you know, you wanted to say to the person, but you couldn't, or that, or you want to apologize for something, or you want to forgive them for something, but you don't do it personally to them. It's entirely for yourself. So that's, that's one way that it, it differs. There's a, a finite end. Um, and I mean, with my grief groups that I was doing at the nonprofit, I mean, people could go on and on and on and on. I mean, there was really no end to it. And I, I like the fact that it does have a beginning and an end, but you know, that being said, Grief doesn't end on the eighth week of your program. Um, so does that answer your question about how it, it differs? And I don't, I don't really know how therapists do it. I assume, you know, they, they allow people to, to talk about their feelings and they acknowledge their feelings and they listen. So, I mean, it's similar in that way that it's, it's about unconditional acceptance and listening. Well, I was thinking also about um, the whole coup. Is it Kubler-Ross? Is that her name? Oh, the stages. Yeah. yeah, that you know, I think that was popularized um, a while ago, and I think that it had a sort of linear progression, as mm -hmm. if you were going to move through these stages, even though, or at least that's what I think the people in the pop in our popular mind what we thought, but. You know, a lot of people were also, I think, aware that those stages weren't linear. People mm -hmm. circle around through them and they combine. And but I mean, that's sort of a framework that might guide people in understanding, you know, where they are in, you know, what stage there are if there are stages to grieving. But I just wanted to hear your thoughts about that as a framework. Well, first of all, those were proposed as um, stages that people go through when they find out they are dying. Um, like denial, was it denial, uh, anger, and ultimately landing at acceptance. And then those stages were re-engineered to be stages of grief. And um, one diagram I've seen of grief is more like a grief wheel. Like you go round and round and round. You can be angry, you can be sad, you can be in denial. Can, um, but the grief recovery method does not believe in those stages at all. Because first of all, you know, there is no denial. You know, you know that somebody has died. And whereas if you find out you're, you're, that you yourself are dying, you might be in denial. You might say, nah, I ate my broccoli yesterday. I'm fine. <laughs> you know, things like that. But um, no, there are no stages, but things like sadness, anger, um, bargaining. Well, bargaining is another of the Kubler-Ross stages. It's, I guess, you know, people are kind of bargaining with God, like, oh, if I if I do this, will I not die? And so it's a kind of an internal dialogue of, you know, let's make a deal here so that I don't have to die. But the there really are no grief stages because those are your feelings. You know, you could feel angry and you feel sad and you may at first feel in denial that, oh no, he couldn't possibly be gone. I can't believe that. But very quickly you find out that that is true, that the person is gone because you know, maybe you've had to identify them or there's a funeral. So you know that that is absolutely true. And so when you're seeking help for your grief, you've already admitted to yourself, okay, I've had a terrible loss and I need some help with that. So there's really no denial, but 
and one reason the stages aren't thought of in the grief recovery method is because they are too linear. You know, some people get angry at first when they find out someone's died. Sometimes there's relief, sometimes there's sadness, sometimes there's confusion. There are all kinds, the whole gamut of human feelings can't really be put in a line where you have to get through one before you get to the other. And that's that's a problem with a, sta a stage, you know, like the stages of child development. Well, the, the children do have to progress from one stage before they get to the next, but feelings aren't like that. Feelings are all over the place. And especially when someone has died or you've suffered another kind of loss, you could be just feeling a whole bunch of things all at the same time. So clearly the stage theory doesn't really apply, at least the way the way we look at it. Yeah, well, that that makes a lot of sense. And it really kind of corresponds to my own experience, for sure. That it's not some linear thing by any means. No. No, I mean, you could be really surprised, isn't. you know, there are certain triggers that can cause you to revisit a, a loss that was decades ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was walking on the beach, I don't know, at some point during the pandemic, we were walking on the beach and this little dog was coming toward us that immediately made me think of our dog who had died, Trina, a dachshund, when I was in high school. And that was like 40 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. And I just burst into tears. And I, I mean, it happened oh. so fast. I didn't even know exactly what was happening. Do you know what I mean? I was like, wait a minute, why did I just do that? And yeah, why am I crying? <laughs> why am I crying? My husband's like, what's wrong? I'm like, oh, that little dachshund reminded me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I was gonna say my, my daughter, Lila, who's 26 now, um, when she, she had to have been, oh my gosh, I'm not gonna remember exactly like, about 10 12 years old when our cat died that who was 19 right so I got this cat when I was 19 years old and then he died when I was 38 so we were all devastated and she cried herself to sleep for many many nights I don't remember and then it would just come up for her could be like a year later some months later and she would just start bawling and she'd have to come lie down in bed with me to calm down because that's how much this cat meant to her. And she doesn't do it anymore. She's in her 20s. But it's like that, it rocked her world. Like that's the per that's the being she knew the longest besides her immediate family. And mm -hmm. She took it really hard. And he actually deserved it. He deserved to be cried for that long. He was that good a cat. So. Well, and with children, often the first loss they have is a pet. Mm -hmm. And so, and then I think as we get into adulthood, we remember how profoundly those losses affected us and how much animals matter. So then of course we're devastated when we lose our, our fur babies, but yeah, and triggers. Well, that's another thing. I mean, you could, just because you've been through some sort of therapy or counseling or the grief recovery method, it doesn't mean you're not going to start crying. Um, it's when something reminds you like when something gets to you and, and triggers that emotion. You know, I had another question I wanted to ask you about. Um, the, earlier, we we're talking about all the um, kind of bad things that people say when they're confronted with someone who's grieving. Mm -hmm. Do you have some good advice for um, 
just things that are more helpful. Um, certainly just listening in general, you've really emphasized, but is there any other way to express sympathy when someone's had a loss that, that you think actually would be helpful? Well, I think, uh, well, listening is certainly the first thing because there is nothing you can say that will reverse the loss. And at that moment, the person will not feel better if you say something like almost, almost anything, but um, you say, I'm here. Uh, one of my favorite things to say is you're not alone. I'm with you. If you wanna take a walk or just have me sit with you, I'm, I'm here. Um, and telling them that their feelings are normal and natural, I mean, grief, at least by the Grief Recovery Institute is defined as the normal and natural feelings that go with a loss. And anything you say that that does not make them feel like a freak is probably helpful. You know, something where you say this is normal and natural and I, I will sit with you with whatever feelings you're having. Yeah, that actually is, I think, a really great way to put it. Just make sure that they feel like it's okay to grieve and it's okay to feel whatever they feel. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I really, uh, oh, sorry, I was just gonna say, I really like how you've um, taken this on, how you wanna help people so much. Um, I, you know, that's lovely that you, you fit yourself into this world to help you, people heal through a very difficult thing that all, you know, all humans experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've always wanted to do this kind of work. And when I was a, a volunteer peer counselor, I, that was those are some of the best years of my life. I just was so fulfilled. And I mean, I had clients who would sit with me for an hour and just cry, you know, nothing else going on. And um, I think well, that's another thing that a lot of people don't know how to do is just sit with someone while they are so devastated that, you know, they and you can't imagine them ever stop crying, but I mean, eventually they do. And to be with someone in that, that moment is also a very helpful thing and to let them know that, that whatever they're going through, this is the normal yeah. thing. Yeah, that is helpful, that's for sure. And, you know, I think it is hard for people to watch someone else cry and not rush in and what to fix them and make them exactly. feel better it's you know it's i think it maybe men especially have trouble watching women cry <laughs> at least that's my experience well yeah they're always there with a solution like why don't you just or how about that and that's not what people need people don't need to be fixed when they are grieving they need you to be with them in the moment yeah that they are and um you mean it's okay that we've usually start with a griever by saying, well, what happened? You know, tell me, you know, even if you know, like, yes. what happened? Or, um, or how did you find out? Or uh, what's the most difficult thing about this for you? Or what feelings are you having now? Or, you know, if it's a big media event where it's been in the news, you know, things like this, this building collapse in Florida, oh my God. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, you could say something, well, I, I heard about it on the news, but I would like to hear about your experience and what happened for you when this tragedy took place. And that gives them the, the freedom to be themselves and to express what they're feeling. You know, that is a really good point because there's so many sort of public tragedies that we experience together. Mm -hmm. And it's often, I think, hard to know um, even how you yourself feel about it. But also, you know, when other people are sort of upset about things, you know, part of me wants to say, well, it's, it doesn't concern you. It's, you know, it happened to someone else. You didn't know anybody who was on the plane that crashed or whatever, but um, that's probably just me trying to <laughs> distance myself from it as well. But yeah, these sort of shared tragedies that affect us. Um, I think I was thinking about the way that the pandemic, that many people were not really able to um, mourn properly their losses mm -hmm. they experienced during the pandemic personally but also just as a as a nation or just as the entire world there weren't a lot of rituals that addressed it and I mean really the only one I can think of is before Biden's inauguration that they had that was on television and they had like some ceremony that was specifically for to honor the victims of the pandemic. And it was like, I forget, they had like candles for all 500,000 people or something, you know. And I was like, wow, this has been really missing throughout mm -hmm. the entire pandemic. I mean, partly it was because um, our leadership and the president were unable to channel the grief of the nation and speak to it in a meaningful way but I was really struck by that because that was like a very finally a public ritual to focus people's grief on something yeah definitely and I think you know as a, a society we don't really embrace grief you know we know how to bring things into our lives and bring people into our lives, but we don't know how to let go of things. We don't know how to say goodbye to things and people. And, you know, you're not supposed to do it. Like if you're working for a corporation, how much bereavement leave do you get these days? Like three days or something like that. But then you're expected to be up and running and back at work again. So our society as a whole, you know, likes things like strength and resilience and being tough and being a, a warrior and being a badass, but we're not all like that all the time. <laughs> you, know, you can't be, and it's okay to not be a, a tough badass all the time, especially if you've, you've lost something. And I, yeah, I think as a society, we don't, um, we don't address that. We certainly don't learn how to grieve growing up and that's yeah. And all of our, all of our stages of life, right? I mean, yeah, that's mm -hmm. true. Just, I remember being kind of sad as a teenager when I realized that my childhood was over because that was kind of fun. I said, oh yeah, remember, you know, we stomped <laughs> around in the creek and caught tadpoles and, and then I was a teenager and I was like, this is serious, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. 
It went through adolescence. There's like boys, girls, there's, you know, violence and scariness, right? And then, and I thought, oh, I'd be better off being that, you know, skinny 12 year old again. (laughs) And I can say that about my menopause. I'm not happy about it. (laughs) So (laughs) I I grieve my middle years, which I used to, I was like, oh, I'm 40 something. I'm like, it's never, you know, I'm I'm so healthy. Yeah, right. You know, like as if I was going to stave it off. (laughs) Just a couple of examples of, you're right, there's like so much so many ways we can grieve something people Mm -hmm. lose like people you know houses burn down with all of their belongings oh jesus those folks have a really hard time right even though there wasn't a loss of life that is like all of their things is also really traumatic to lose yeah huge changes are also a reason for grief it's not just a loss. It could be a huge life change that mm-hmm. is causing a person to feel sad, scared, angry, you know, what, whatever the gamut of emotions is. It's, uh, it's not just death and, or divorce or loss of something that people can say, oh, you lost whatever, you know, it's, it's those unnamed losses. You know, that's a really good point that sometimes change itself, even if it's change that you have orchestrated and chosen, it involves loss. Mm -hmm. And like Danielle was describing, moving from one stage of life to the next, you know, even if you're dying to get to college and get the hell out of high school, you know, it's still, you're losing something as you're gaining something. Oh yeah, yeah. And moving, I, I mean, I moved out here from New York, and everybody was like, "Oh, California is so pretty. You're gonna love it so much." I was miserable when I first got here. You know, I hadn't figured out who I was in California. It was very mm-hmm. different from my New York life, um, and different in some good ways, different in some not so good ways. But I just hadn't figured it out yet. It was just an enormous change, and. I mean, talk about rituals, I'll never forget the first Easter we were here. I was accustomed to going to my mom's and having my mom make Easter dinner. Well, I made absolutely no plans for Easter dinner our first year here. We ended up at Wendy's because we just didn't have an Easter dinner. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm gonna have to grow up and make my own Easter dinner. Even though I was 37 at the time, I had never made an Easter dinner. It's like, well, I'm gonna have to do something now. I'm gonna have to realize, okay, I'm not going to mom's for Easter this year. So, and that hit me really hard. So yeah, that was kind of a loss. I mean, my husband laughed, but I didn't. (laughs) No, exactly. Well, I remember when we moved to California, which was 1997, um, it was a job-related move, and I was totally excited about it. My husband was excited about it. But I remember the day that we had the real estate agent come to our house. She walked around, met, we sat down, she told us when we should list it, how much we should get. As soon as she walked out of the door, I burst into tears. Mm -hmm at the thought of selling the house and leaving the house. Even though I was yeah. completely on board and really wanted to move to California. Oh, yeah. And houses, that's another example. Like when someone moves from an apartment to a house, everybody's like, oh, wow, you're gonna have a house now. It's so much bigger, it's so much nicer, but I want my apartment. You know, it's, it's, it's not always the same for everybody. And even if it's, you know, a good move or a wanted move, there are there are goodbyes and they, yes. in the grief recovery handbook, they even suggest, you know, when you move from one home to another, to say goodbye to your old house. Uh-huh. To say, you know, to this corner of your living room where you've spent so much time 
it's been great and thank uh -huh. you and uh and goodbye <laughs> yes and i don't think we do that i think we pack up all our boxes make sure yes. the moving men don't break everything and get in our car and go and the emotional yeah. aspect never gets addressed in most cases yeah. that's so true well ladies i think we might be finishing up our conversation but tracy is there anything else you want to leave us with any other thoughts well, um, it's been wonderful. It's been so great talking about all this with with two very intelligent and wonderful women. Um, and if people want to do the grief recovery method, if they want to see a grief recovery method specialist, they can go on the griefrecoverymethod.com website. And I don't know how far reaching uh, your audience is, but all people have to do is put in their zip code and they will get a list of specialists in their area. If they want online help, which we've just recently started to, to offer, uh, actually they've been offering it for a couple of years, but I just recently got the online certification, they can also find um, help online and it doesn't have to necessarily be in their, in their area. Oh, very good. And each specialist has a little uh, description of, you know, how they came to do the work and any mm -hmm. uh, subspecialties they have. And uh, so they can read several specialist profiles if they don't know who they want to go with. And yeah. Okay. That's All right, well, Tracy, great. Thank you so much for being on our show. See you back oh, at NIA one of these days. Wink, wink. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. You can get more information about it on facebook.com backslash Sharla Danielle podcast. <laughs>